Welcome to Text Talks. Text Talks is a podcast about entrepreneurship in and around Austin at the University of Texas. Text Talks is brought to you by the Herb Kelleher Center for Entrepreneurship, Growth, and Renewal. We have a ton of great content out there already, so please check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes and go subscribe to the podcast. And you can also check us out at texttalks.info. Again, that's texttalks.info. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the show. show. So we have a very special guest today. We have Josh Dzebiak um, from The Zebra. Um, so he is a four-time entrepreneur who is the current co-founder, chief operating officer, and the chief marketing officer of The Zebra, which is an insurance, Austin-based insurance aggregator that counts Mark Cuban and Excel partners among its key investors. So what's very unique about him is that he started his first business when he was 14 years old and sold it for more than $1 million by the time he was 17. Um, he has been recognized in Inc. Magazine in the 30 Under 30 list, and most recently he was named in the prestigious Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Please, everybody, welcome Josh. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And my arm. Absolutely. So we definitely should start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so please take us through your background. Where are you from? So I, um, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I was born and raised on a 20-acre like a farm right outside the city and um, moved to Austin about five years ago. Oh, I see, I see. So you started a business at 14. I mean, that's an age most people are trying to fight acne and trying to figure out you know, what they're trying to do in their world, you know, just going to school and surviving. And you're starting a business. So can you please just walk us through your first business, Media Catch? Yes, um, I was also fighting acne, um, just, just to be clear. Um, but no, I, so I started by um, uh, getting into web design at a really young age. So my, um, my parents bought the family a computer when I was like 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, and I booted up for the first time and um, you know, really just kind of become enthralled with this idea that you can connect with anybody around the world through the internet. Um, share content, ideas, et cetera. Um, yeah, so um, from a young age, I've been kind of you know, hooked on this thing called the internet. And um, that led me into uh, my first design project, uh, which ultimately led me to my first business. And um, it's been kind of an uh, internet journey since then. So I see, I see. So what was your first business? So Media Catch was a web design and web hosting company. Um, like I said, I started doing design. And what had happened was I was um, designing these, these websites for these local businesses, so just small businesses that, especially at the time, I mean, there was no, no other way for people to get online. Everybody wanted a website, but they didn't really know how to, how to get one. Um, and uh, so I started designing these websites for these local businesses, and they'd pay me you know, $100, and I would design them a website. And then the next thing I knew, I would have another business coming at me asking me for more, and I'd charge $150, and then $200. And, um, and what, I, what I realized was that you know, I'm only one person. I only have so much time in the day. Um, I can only design so many websites. But at the same time, I'm taking all the hosting business, um, and I'm giving it to somebody else, which is reoccurring revenue. Um, and so I thought, man, I could figure out how to host these websites myself and charge the hosting fees. And um, so I, I, I kind of transformed MediaCatch from design into web hosting. 
Um, and that's what really took off. So um, I was, yeah, 15, 16 years old, um, hosting lots and lots of websites. Um, and I, I would buy these, these computers. Um, so back then, this was like pre, you know, cloud, Amazon cloud. Uh, you're hosting everything on a, on a proper computer. And um, you're having to log in remotely through a terminal and all this stuff. Um, so I, I, would, I would host these websites um, that way. And then um, before I knew it, I would own, a, you know, I owned a bunch of servers. Um, and I had a, like I had a full-blown hosting company. I was hosting thousands of websites. Wow. Um, and it became at the time there was a there was a hosting magazine company, um, Hostmag or something like that. And it became they named me one of the top 25 wow. fastest-growing web hosting companies. That's crazy. So it transformed from a design web design company into web hosting, and that's ultimately what became you know most successful for me. And I, I sold um, a couple years later. I see. I see. So as a 14-year-old, you're thinking about recurring revenue. Well, I don't know if I'd call it recurring revenue, um, but I was thinking about, I knew one thing, and that was I only had so much time in the day. So, um, and I did see, I did see recurring you know, revenue happening, so I figured I could latch onto that and uh, make something interesting happening. I don't think I would know the term recurring revenue okay. when I was 14. When I look back, I don't think I was that smart. So. <laughs> So where did you learn, where did you gain your business knowledge? Um, you said you grew up on a farm. Yeah. So where do you gain the business knowledge to, you know, kind of build this business and scale it? Um, so my, um, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, and, and my father worked for my grandfather. Okay. Um, and pretty much everybody in my family worked for my grandfather. It, it was a small business. It was a... Um, a septic business, so they dealt with some pretty, you know, uh, interesting things. Uh, not techie, put it that way. Um, but all I kind of knew was entrepreneurship because, to, you know, to me, I saw my parents and my grandparents, and for them to make a living, it was they created and did their own thing. Um, albeit it wasn't some big, you know, venture or anything like that, but that's what was kind of inherent to me. Um, it was almost organic um, and, and natural. So. Um, so that was really kind of what I think inspired me to, to start my own thing. Where did you kind of turn to, um, you know, for, for mentors or even just education, educating yourself um, in an era where there's not really much you can turn to, especially as a 14-year-old, the Internet's new, mm -hmm. people still trying to figure that out. So how did you learn and, you know, grow your business? Yeah, I mean, I, um, so... I grew up, like I, like I said, I grew up on a 28-acre farm, so there really wasn't a feeling of, oh, man, there's so much around me and so many resources or mentors or anything like that. Um, but I did have the internet. It was a 56K modem, but I had it. And I knew I could connect online and I could find content out there that would help me. And so I just read a lot. I mean, it was... It wasn't Google at the time, it was Yahoo, right? I would go right. to Yahoo and I'd be searching for right. how to do this, how to do that, what does this mean? Um, and it was really you know, learning through trial and error and just sort of reading as much as I could. I see, that's, that's definitely very interesting. So one thing that we learn a lot in school is the difficulty of management. How as a 14-year-old, especially as a teenager, do you manage employees? How do you gain their trust? How do you even bring people on, and how do you gain confidence over your employees that you're, you know what you're doing? Um, well, I don't know how much confidence I gave them. I mean, I gave <laughs> them enough to you know, come to work and get a paycheck, but um, you know, I think it, 
um, I think it was just really about showing them uh, promise through hard work. Right? I, was, I was super passionate um, and, and still am. I, I don't do anything that I'm not very passionate about. And people pick up on passion, right? So, right. so I think that was a big part of it. Um, you know, it was it was awkward. I, I was so I was actually you know I had an office and fourteen employees before I had my driver's license, um, and so <laughs> there were lunch meetings and things where I'd have to you know ask my employees to to drive me to the meeting. Um, <laughs> so um, there was those you know awkward moments, and then there were things where you know I'd have to sign a contract and. To be legally binding, you have to be a legal adult. Right. Um, and so, underneath a lot of my contracts, at least the ones where I knew somebody could audit or or kind of dig in on, um, or if they knew that I was under 18, I would have um, you know another signature, which would ultimately be my parents. Um, wow. So you know, I, I I fought a lot of those battles just through persistence and passion and trying to. Um, show people that you know I was serious about what I was doing, and ultimately they, they bought the product because the product worked. That's fantastic. What do your parents say when you ask them, like, I need you to co-sign with me these contracts? <laughs> um, my parents were always very, um, they were always very supportive, still are. Um, you, you know, they were, <laughs> they were always a bit skeptical, though, at the same time, because um, they didn't really understand this whole internet thing. Again, this, okay. was, this was kind yes. of before it being so ubiquitous and, and talked about and pre-Mark Zuckerberg and all the young billionaires. Um, so they were a bit skeptical, but they were supportive. They, they, they saw the passion um, and they, they saw me making a living um, and right. you know, they, they did what I asked them to do. <laughs> <laughs> so then you sold your business, but how did that come about? And then how do you negotiate the sale of a business as a teenager as well? <laughs> wow. Um, so I... Uh, Sorry, I'm giving you like two questions at once. No, I, I, yeah. it's fine. I, um, so I was, um, I had a, a CPA that, well, backing up a second, I had this web hosting company. And um, basically what would happen is, as I mentioned, this is like pre-AWS, uh, pre pre-cloud, like this was... This is very manual to, to launch a server and to manage servers. Uh, so I'd, I'd be logging in remotely to sort of reboot a server. And I don't know if you guys remember, like, the T-Mobile sidekick had a terminal on there. And I was constantly on that, just rebooting stuff. Yes. And, um, but it was very stressful, because what would happen is a server would go down, or a whole rack of servers would go down. And my phone would blow up, because all these businesses would be relying on their website being online. And the only thing they knew to do when their site was down would, would be to call my company. Right. Um, so here I am, 16 years old, and I can't even go out to dinner <laughs> because wow. um, you know a server goes down and my whole world blows up. So what started as passion and excitement and ultimately profit uh, turned into a great deal of stress. Right. Um, and I was sacrificing, you know, the social aspect of being a teenager and you know just all that it means to be young and try to have fun for this business. Um, and so this great level of stress was constantly on my mind. And I was dealing with tax, taxes at the time. And my CPA said to me, hey, you know, I think uh, we're starting a business brokerage firm. I think I could sell your, your company for you. And um, I had never really thought about it at the time. But um, so my response to him was like, well, you know, go out, look at the market. Tell me what you think you can get for it. And um, yeah, we'll see if it's, <coughs> if it's interesting. And so he did that showed me a number and 
being 17, I was pretty, pretty excited about the number <laughs> he showed me. And um, that company sold money in bank, everything bound within, uh, it was like five months. Oh, wow. So um, it just kind of happened. I think it was a combination of being really stressed out. And, um, you know, I, th I think it was good timing, too. I think it happened for a reason, so. I see. Yeah. Um, something that I think we're all curious is, what was the first thing you bought as a 17-year-old kid? As a 17-year-old millionaire? Um, I bought a uh, Mercedes C-Class off oh. of eBay. It <laughs> had it delivered to, so I moved, by the way, I moved out of my parents' house at okay. 17. And I had it delivered right to my apartment. Oh, uh, yeah, wow. 17. So, um, yeah. And uh, funny story, I had um, I'd sold this business and you know, had a, a little bit of money. And um, I went to an actual Mercedes dealership because I thought, oh, you know, I want a Mercedes. That's what all the celebrities have. So I want to look flashy. And yeah, that's what I want. So I went to a, I went to a, dealership, a Mercedes dealership. And they would not give me the time of day. They thought, who is a 17-year-old? They cannot afford a car here. <laughs> and so that was my kind of middle finger to them, was to go home and buy it and pay for it in cash and have it delivered. <laughs> so that's what I did. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you haven't graduated from high school. No. Uh, you taught yourself through CD-ROMs. Yes. So what is your perspective on education? It's kind of the irony wow. of coming to the University of Texas. That's a juicy <laughs> question. <Yes. actually>. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, education is extremely important, right? Um, for sure, uh, no doubt about that. Um, I put experience above everything. Um, yes. So, you know, if someone was to ask me, you know, what does one of my team members at the company, where, what did they go to school, and what did they go to school for? I don't think I could answer that for anybody. Um, uh, but what I could tell you is maybe what they were doing before and what experience they brought to the table. Right. Um, that just always resonates uh, for me right. um, when I'm hiring or building a team. Um, but at the same time, education is critical, right? And, and there's, there's, um, there's, there's, there's different ways to educate yourself. Um, I, I see some of the most successful people I know didn't leverage education through textbook. They, they had that piece, but they leveraged education through experience. Right. And it was really about involving themselves in you know, internships or just early stage companies or you know, getting a job at any given company, at any right. given function, and just, just really absorbing. Um, so to me, it's really about education through experiences. I see, that's, that's actually a pretty valuable point. That's very important. So moving on to your second business, could you Walk us through what your second business was and you know, how did it come about? Yeah, so I, um, so I sold this company, 17 years old, moved out of my parents' house, um, and um, I always had this fascination with the entertainment industry. I, th I think it was just like the glitz and glam, right? What you'd see on TV, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, I'd love to be in the entertainment industry. And so uh, my way into the entertainment industry was to buy my way into it. <laughs> so I had some money and I said, okay, well, I'll invest in something involved in the entertainment industry. And it just so happened that I had met, um, I met some, some guys that were starting a record label. And See. the concept for the record label at the time was to promote and distribute all their music through MySpace. I'm sure all of you guys remember MySpace. Rest in peace. Um, but that was very much on the climb at the time. So, you know, 
it was all about your top 10 friends and everybody had a MySpace and uh, that was all the rage. So the thought was we were going to um, promote the music, promote the artists through um, social media channels. I don't know if that was a term at that point, but basically through MySpace and distribute the music electronically. And that was going to be our competitive differentiator as a, as a record label. Um, ultimately, that did not work. It just, I don't know if it was timing, the people, whatever. I learned a lot of really valuable lessons. But what it did lead to for me was the advent of my, my next company, which was, was Showclick. Because um, what I saw was all the artists on our uh, roster were going on tour from, from venue to venue, but they weren't the big venues. Um, and at, yet at the same time, they had a, a cult following, these artists. So they, we needed a way to sell tickets online. And so that led me to start a ticketing technology company, which became Showflix, and that, that ultimately um, grew pretty quickly for me. That's fantastic. So you left Showflix in January 2013, and it was kind of the height of Showflix. You had over 100 million in revenue, 60 employees. What caused this decision? Decision, and how do you know if this decision was the right thing to do at that time? Yeah. Um, so the company had. The company had grown over the course of seven years since I started to a point where it became less about innovation in my role at least, less about innovation and, and exercising creativity and, and more about uh, financial engineering, mm. uh, corporate governance, uh, board matters, things that you know frankly for me they just don't get me excited in the morning. So what I found was, even though we were having some of our biggest months or quarters ever in the company's history, I was going to work and I was feeling like work was work. And <coughs> that is when I started to feel as though I wasn't supposed to be there anymore. Um, I never want to work on something that actually makes me feel like it's work in the negative, con you know, negative connotation of the word. Um, and so um, I, th that just started playing in my head more and more and I noticed the pattern um, and I noticed that in meetings I was starting to kind of back away, I wasn't as passionate and, and the passion remained there with the, with the other team members but for me I was just starting to disconnect. Um, so that's really I think what kind of led to me starting to think about new opportunities and you know, what the next chapter might look like for me. So you would prefer to start businesses rather than to run businesses and run larger organizations? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think above that even, what, what's most important to me is to stay connected to the creative part of it. Yeah, that's important. So moving on to the zebra. So what is the zebra, first of all? Just to clarify. Yeah, um, the, the zebra is the, is the nation's leading insurance search engine. So essentially, we help uh, consumers sh uh, find, buy, and manage insurance. Uh, right now, we're, we're exclusively focused on car insurance, but we'll be moving into other verticals soon. So how did you end up joining Adam at the Zebra, um, you know, as the VP of product? So as I mentioned, so at this time, I was starting to kind of disconnect with my work. Um, and uh, truth be told, I had every reason not to leave. I had just bought a house in Pittsburgh. I just renovated it, moved in. Um, I had my whole network there. I had this big, successful business that was becoming profitable and, and yeah, over 100 million in sales. Um, and I'm the type of person that, you know, if you give me every reason not to do something, 
I'm probably going to do it, or at least really consider it. So, um, so anyway, I, I had, I had um, sort of in the meantime, I had start, helped to start this incubator program in Pittsburgh, where we were giving um, twenty-five thousand dollars to several different ideas, like four or six times a year. Um, and so I was pretty involved with this incubator program, and I would see and meet with a lot of the entrepreneurs and hear about the ideas. Um, and so I would go to uh, or watch via uh, live stream the demo dates. So after a few weeks, every entrepreneur would, would present what they worked on for the past few weeks and what they did with the money that we had given to them. Um, and so this particular demo day, I was, you know, I was sort of at this, this place in my life, in my career, where I was starting to feel disconnected from my, from my job. And I was watching all these presentations, and I heard Adam's presentation on the zebra. Um, and it, it was the best presentation of the night, uh, for me at least. And, uh, at the same time, I was really skeptical because I thought, well, surely this has been done before. Uh, so I started to kind of research the concept a little bit, just more out of curiosity than anything. And what I found was, was surprising to me. So that led to more and more conversations ultimately with Adam, and then kind of, that was, you know, the rest is history. We just kind of kept going from there. So something that's really interesting about Adam is he once cold emailed Mark Cuban to raise funding from him, right? So that's that's pretty. He's a pretty bold person. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, yes. So, why did you guys bring the business to Austin? That's move as well. We had so we raised the funds from Mark, who is in Dallas, um, and then um, our seed round of funding was from Silverton Partners, which is here in Austin, um, and they had, you know, they had brought us down here. I think it was during ACL. And they kind of nudged us, like, hey, you guys should consider maybe moving to Austin. And um, it was kind of a no-brainer for us because uh, I think we were interested in getting away from the cold weather. Uh, and this is south. And um, the, uh, you know, the talent pool here is, is, is great. Um, and lots of engineering talent, tech talent, et cetera. Uh, so it just kind of all worked out that way. I see. So one of the things you've been recently recognized as is best places to work in Austin by the Austin Business Journal last year. And you're, you're growing this company at a crazy rate. So how do you make sure you create this great culture and that it stays a great culture as you grow your company? Well, I'm a believer that the culture is really derived from the core 10 or 15 people that you first hire. You know, I, I feel like it's those early folks that really set the tone. And then, it, to your point, it really is about management moving forward uh, and being picky, right? So, so they set the tone, they set the standards, they set the bar. And then everybody you hire at that point, you should sort of connect the dots. You know, does this make sense according to, to what we've already built, the energy, the camaraderie that we have going on today? Um, and you need to make that a priority in your hiring right? and your firing. Um, so, you know, one of the things we did is we, we looked at that core 10 or 15 um, folks uh, that, we, that we first brought onto the team, and we identified the unique attributes of those folks, and we said, well, what makes them extra special? Why do we really like them? Why do we really want more of that? Um, and we wrote that down, and those became our core values. And so, you know, from that point on, we hire and we fire based on those core values. 
So when we're interviewing somebody, we think about those core values, and if somebody does something that goes against those core values, uh, we will let them go, and we will tell them that we're letting you go because this is a core value to us, and clearly this is not sync for you. Um, and so I think it's just about you know being really true to that and 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 persistent. I see. How involved are you in the hiring process right now? Depends on the function. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, we we're hiring across the board for anybody interested. <laughs> Product marketing. Um, we uh, so for my, my, myself, I, I tended to be more involved on the. The, the marketing side, the commercialization side of things. Um, we are hiring a lot in product, which is you know something I'm very close to, so, so I stay close to those hires as well. I see, I see. So, one of the things we've noticed about the Zebra is you have a lot of partnerships with major organizations, especially as a startup. How did you form those partnerships, and how do you maintain those partnerships as a smaller startup that's still trying to figure out your way in this world, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are still trying to figure out our way in this world. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, are you referring to like the carriers, like the, like the MetLife right. of the world? Yes. Uh, yeah, so we, we partner with a, with a large number of very big companies. Um, very, you know, a lot of companies that were born in sort of the horse and buggy era, um, so it's not always the easiest thing to get them to adopt new technology. Um, I think, A, it's not easy, and you have to be extremely patient. Um, but you have to understand, like, you know, what's the music to their ears, like what resonates to them, and uh, you have to really also understand their pain points. So for us, what we, what we realized is that these companies were born in the horse and buggy era, and they're trying to find ways to connect with the modern day consumer. Um, and that is, you know, sort of enter the zebra, right? Like that's what we're doing, and that is that is ultimately the type of consumer that we're trying to attract, and we're building products for. Uh, so um, that was our positioning for these big companies. It's like okay, you have this need, and we have this solution, and here's what that can mean to your business. Um, and you know, it's it didn't happen overnight, and we still have like we we have some contracts that. You know, we started con we started conversations um, in one year, and it took like a year and a half to two years before it ever came to life. Um, and uh, you know, it was about kind of just being persistent, and uh, you know, also proving yourself through other means too. I think if they start to see you gain traction, um, or you start to get to win other companies like them, then they're more likely to kind of bend and try. I see. Then kind of switching to more of the technology side, could you talk to us about the AI and the machine learning behind the Zebra and how that really helps your company and how that has really helped your business grow? Yeah. AI. Um, first of all, I think, I think a lot of people call things that are AI to me just that are basic programming, like if this, then that. So AI to me is kind of a kitschy term that, that, that uh, uh, people translate differently. Um, for the Zebra, I mean, we, we use um, a lot of data to inform <coughs> customers on, um, you know, help them basically make a better or smart decision. So whether that's around their insurance coverage or why things are priced a certain way or what they can do to 
impact their price or impact the, the, the premiums that they're paying. Um, uh, that's probably one of the biggest ways that we're using um, artificial intelligence today. Uh, I think moving forward, we're going to continue to build out tools and functionality and using data to kind of help educate consumers. Uh, we're in a space that is not that sexy to most people, okay. insurance. Um, and it's also a space that rubs people the wrong way in a lot of ways. It gives them the EBGs. So I think it's our job to kind of educate the consumer on, on insurance in a way that is fun and engaging and intuitive. And I think those are the best ways that we can kind of try to use AI uh, in, in today's world. Yeah, I definitely want to ask those questions. They're kind of hot topics right yeah. now with a lot of you know, Amazon and Google coming yeah, out. Strong, I guess, so. so in September, though, last year, you basically re uh, brought in a former Kayak executive to become your CEO. So similar to your question, that I question that I asked to you uh, about show clicks, you know, how do you know it's the right time to like step away and let someone else come in and run the company as well? Um, well, and it's not dissimilar to my answer for Showplex. I think that you know you, you really start to you start to evaluate where where your strengths lie and where they don't, and you, you line that up with where the business is at the time and the needs that it has for growth. Um, so I think for us it was really. It was really just about you know looking toward the future and thinking about okay well we you know we want to be a mainstream consumer brand that's always been our vision from day one um, and you know thinking about is, is this the right team makeup what do we need around the table um, what are we bringing to the table but where are the gaps at right um, and so when we and, and by the way, when we started the company, everybody would, would refer to us as the kayak for insurance. <laughs> so there was like this natural feeling of, well, if we want you know, a new CEO or new leadership, like let's look to see you know, who's available at kayak. And that's kind of how that went down. <laughs> you said you evaluated what you need, but how do you evaluate even yourselves? Because, oh, you know, we need to step away and we need to bring someone in as the CEO. Yeah. That has to be a little bit difficult. Yeah, um, I, I think it's you, you know you you, ha you do have to be uh, you have to be humble enough to kind of recognize where your weaknesses are, um, and maybe they're not weaknesses, but maybe they're just areas where you'd like to see there where somebody else may have a stronger set of experience um, or bring something different to the table, uh, and um, and sometimes it's also just about a new perspective. Uh, you know, for us, we, we were building, we started this company and built it up until, you know, this last raise when we, when we brought on Keith as CEO, that we were in it for over five years. So you, so you, start, to, you start to become saturated and, and your viewpoint maybe isn't always um, the right viewpoint. And it could help to have somebody else coming in from a different perspective, from a different level, with a different type of experience to, to, to add to the, you know, to the team. That's a great answer. So what do you see, so, so you have quite a different array of business experience going from B2B and B2C. So what do you th see as the main difference between you know, we're, uh, creating a B2B business versus a B2C business? Um, I'm glad you asked that. Because yes. I think that, that that was something that was really interesting to me, to be fair. I, I mean, when I, when I was, um, 
when I was sort of thinking, when I was when work was starting to become work for me at Showclerks, I was starting to think about, you know, what what do I want to do next? Um, what's on my bucket list, if you will? And consumer was at the top of that. I I had only done B two B software sales up at that point, and so. Um, that was actually one of the things that really intrigued me about this opportunity was I saw a mass consumer opportunity. Um, and I didn't know very much about consumer. Uh, I'd actually say I didn't know really much at all about consumer. So um, to me, it was an interesting challenge. Um, and uh, I'm somebody who really gets off on marketing and, and product. And so what better way to do that but in, in a consumer-facing world? Um, I, I have seen a lot of differences. Uh, first off, consumer-facing con, consumer businesses are highly iterative. So, um, you know, in a B2B world, it's often driven by how many boots you have on the ground selling the product, so it's sales-driven. Um, whereas, in a B2C world, uh, there's certainly a sales component, and oftentimes that's very important as well, but um, it can be much more marketing-heavy, right? So, how wide can you cast your net, how far, how fast, um, and how smart can you get about that? Um, and that's a very iterative process. So, um, you know, at Zebra, we're extremely data-driven um, to the point where it can be nauseating at times. We have so much data at our fingertips. Um, but we're using that to inform our buying decisions from media down to how our funnel looks, the way we convert people, et cetera. Um, whereas I think, again, on the B2B side, it is about that sales force. It's about you know, hiring um, boots on the ground out there. That it's, it's, a lot of times it's much more relationship driven. Um, you can only scale by how much, um, how big the sales force you have. Marketing and all that always plays an important role um, in every function, every business, and, and there's a lot of overlap. But I'd say that high, highly iterative, highly data driven, um, uh, maybe even a faster cadence when it comes to um, what you're trying and, and at what pace um, in terms of what you can do to move the needle from a marketing perspective. Um, those are kind of the big things that, that resonate with me when I think about the big differences between the two, B2B and B2C. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So across your different experiences um, with your different startups, you've also raised capital uh, in different areas of the country. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the differences between uh, raising capital, you know, in the East Coast versus the West Coast, or even in Austin. Yeah. So, my first business was Bootstrap. I just um, grew it organically. I started with whatever design money I made, 150 bucks or whatever. Um, my second business, um, Showclicks, was venture capital funded um, through um, a, a group. Essentially, it was Super Angels, really, um, on the East Coast. Uh, smaller funds. We only raised about six or seven million dollars for the, for the lifetime of the business. Um, and then the Zebra, we've raised over sixty million dollars, and um, we're only on Series B. And uh, we have some big picture thinkers around the table, Excel uh, Ventures and Mark Cuban. Um, I'd say, I'd say that, you know. You have you start to think about how you grow the business differently, for sure, right? Like when right. you're growing a business bootstrap, you don't have the resources to take as many <coughs> risks as maybe you do if you're growing something like you know the zebra, where you have a lot of resources at your fingertips. So you're much more sensitive to you know the next step you take because it could make or break you, right? Because it's like you don't 
necessarily have the resources to fail as much as you, you might on um, uh, when you have venture capital around the table. Um, I'd say that the the biggest difference I no noticed in between uh, you know the show clicks and the zebra in terms of style of VCs um, is you find that uh, there's certain VCs. Every VC has a thesis, by the way. They're all looking, you know, for some sort of exit within some sort of time frame under some sort of thesis. Um, and one of my biggest learning lessons from Showclips was I, I did not, I did not really understand that, um, and I did not, I certainly didn't understand that about the people I had around the table. So the whole time I'm growing this company, I didn't really understand what my investors really wanted. From it. And that may not sound important, but it actually really is because at the board level, you start to hear conversation, you start to have conversation, you start to make decisions, um, and these things might not add up to you unless you really know what their, you know, gold star is, north star, I should say, what their north star is. So um, at times, I'd often be confused, right? Because because the investors I had there were looking for a far different outcome than what I had in my mind, and so I'm building a business and making decisions based on what I have in my mind. But their their vision for that was a little bit different because their outcome and their north star was a little different than mine. So I think you know getting that alignment is really important. Um, whereas on, at the Zebra, you know, we have, as I mentioned, big picture thinkers. Right? So they're looking to hit a home run. They're, they're looking to build this big brand, um, and therefore we make decisions that support that. And, and fortunately, we have the resources to support that as well. So you just notice you notice differences in the way that they guide you because they're looking for different outcomes. Um, and so I think it's important that that you're you know whatever whoever you put around the table. If you take money in, if you take venture capital in, that, that you really understand what they're looking for out of this. Are they looking for a five-year exit and three-year three-time multiple, or are they looking for you know a 10-15 year exit and a hundred or two hundred x multiple? Yeah. So those are you run the business completely different ways based on the on the exit um, scenario that you're you're gunning for. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so one of the other aspects that I thought was interesting talking to you last week was you talked about the emotional aspect of being an entrepreneur. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, without crying. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it's okay if you cry. It's okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, well, I think that it's interesting because um, all I know is being an entrepreneur. And, um, all a lot of people see are the accolades. They see, you know, the feature in a newspaper article, or they see the team, and they think revenue, and they think money, uh, they think success, um, and that's, you know, there's there's definitely that part of it. Um, but what they don't see and what they don't hear about is, you know, the emotional tool that entrepreneurship can can take on you. And it's not just entrepreneurship. I think it's leadership in general where the buck stops with you, right? You have this idea, it doesn't have to be a business, um, and you're so passionate about it that it starts to eat at you, right? Like every morning it's the first thing on your mind and it's the last thing on your mind before you go to bed at night. Um, and then you're, what, what ends up happening is when things go right, you're on this like super high emotional, you know, euphoria, and then when things go wrong, you're on the complete opposite end of that. Um, and um, I think over time, what 
if you don't pay attention to that actually happening, you start to, to feel like you're in a really lonely place because nobody around you understands that. And you're the only person that is, you feel like you're the only person that is as passionate about whatever it is that you're doing um, uh, that exists. Um, and so you start to feel lonely. Um, and I think the emotional piece is something that you know, people don't talk about because it, it's kind of, you know, it's taboo. It's like, well, you know, let's inspire people to start a company. And I, I think that's good. I, I'm all about entrepreneurship, obviously. But um, I do think that there really is a, an emotional piece to it. There is a psychological piece to it that um, needs to be talked about more. So how do you cope with the loneliness and the stress of being an entrepreneur? I, it, it is about talking about it. I mean, it, it, a I think it's it's about recognizing that man, like I can't stop thinking about this idea to the point where like I, you know, it's eating me. It's eating me alive. I, I don't really have a social life, or when I do, I can't connect with people um, because all I can think about or all I can talk about is, is this business or this idea or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's recognizing that 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 exists, that, that there is a real issue there, um, and then I, I'd say that. You know, you should surround yourself with, with a diverse group of people. Um, there's a natural inclination as an entrepreneur to surround yourself with other entrepreneurs. And I think that's fantastic, um, but that shouldn't be all that you surround yourself with. Um, I have a lot of friends that don't have jobs right now trying to figure out what they're, you know, trying to do next. Um, and, you know, they bring something different to the friendship table than, than I do. And that keeps me grounded, that keeps me thinking about other things in life. Um, and uh, you know it's 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 fun that way. Uh, so I can't you know I, I'd say just don't surround yourself with people that are you know um, just encouraging you to constantly think about the one thing that's already always on your mind. You know, right? It's true. We all need some stress relievers, some vacations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So kind of moving to those rapid fire questions, trying to keep it a little bit lighter now. Um, so what keeps you up at night? I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> lighter, but it's supposed to be more fun. <laughs> um, what keeps me up at night? Um, moving fast enough. Okay. Um, so, uh, wait, this is rapid fire, so I'm just gonna say that. Am I moving fast enough? Is the business moving fast enough? Right, right. So now, really a lighter question. <laughs> Uh, what books are you reading right now? Um, ooh. Okay, so I just started this book called Contagious. Okay. Um, and have you seen that yeah. one? Um, and it's about um, basically creating content, products, ideas, things that catch on. Uh, I just started it, so that's okay. What's your favorite book, business or non-business? Um, or both. There's a book called uh, Inside the Magic Kingdom, mm. and it's about Walt Disney. And um, I, I read it years and years ago, so I, I don't even remember a ton of it, but it stuck with me because there was a lot of detail. Well, it's, they go into like the detail within Walt Disney's organization and then ultimately within Disney World. Um, and they talk about business as a form of art. And that, has resonated with me since I've read that, and so I, I guess I have to go with that book. That's great. That's great. So, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Listen to your gut. Listen to your gut. 
And then how do you stay productive? Oh, uh, <laughs> how do I stay productive? Um, I don't think there's a silver bullet way to say maybe um, uh, you know constantly questioning my priorities. No, I also use Trello and you know the productivity tools. I email myself a lot of things as reminders. I don't know if that's being productive, but helps. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'd like to definitely open it up to audience questions.